Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome the NFL Draft. Two days away. How are you doing, my friend? I can't believe it. I can't believe there's another season in the books. I mean, here we are sitting here right now, not more than a couple of days away, a few days away, hours away, just getting ready for arguably one of the most insane spectacles of humanity, where we all huddle around the television as athletic teams choose who will end up being the next people on their franchise. And you know what? Because it affects me is probably why I'm on something like this right now, talking to everybody else, because it actually will affect me, Paul. Don't take Daniel Jones at six. Don't take Daniel Jones at six. <laughs> Don't take Daniel Jones at six. <laughs> I, I I get, I, I love it. I mean, it's this time of the year. It's amazing that the journey, I don't know. Usually I always feel like the pre-draft months go by very slowly. Maybe it's because more is crazy in life around me. I feel like this draft season has really kind of snuck up. And and while I've been doing a lot for Saturday to Sunday and the notebooks are, you know, full effect and the draft projections notebook launched last week and we haven't been on air together since, it's just been one of those things that I can't believe we're here already. I mean, I feel like the years now go by so quickly, and it's amazing that it's finally upon us. So this is going to be our last episode before the coverage of the draft. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, at the end of the show, but we wanted to get a chance 
to give our final rankings, some analysis. But guys, if you want our analysis on these guys, the tier episodes are far and away the best episodes to go back and listen to where we gave detailed analysis. And throughout the year, we've been giving detailed analysis on these guys. So we're not going to go into long scouting profiles and stuff like that. We're more going to give our rankings, share a couple thoughts about the position, maybe a player or two that really intrigue us, that we're excited to see what happens on draft night and kind of set Set the stage uh, for you in terms of where our final rankings now uh, in stone. You know, basically, there. This is it. There's no more rankings change. We are here. The draft is upon us. So, Matt, let's get it started. I want you to start right here. Give me your top ten quarterbacks and run them down one through ten, and then I'm going to pose a question or two to you about what maybe stands out. Sure. Uh, you know, my top 10 quarterbacks are as follows. Dwayne Haskins, it hasn't changed. Kyler Murray, it hasn't changed. Uh, Will Greer, there were some thoughts about maybe kind of interchanging him with Daniel Jones or Drew Locke or flipping those guys around. But I, I pretty much settled in on Will Greer. Uh, Daniel Jones follows at number four. Drew Locke at number five. Jarrett Stidham at number six. Ryan Finley uh, at number seven. Tyree Jackson at number eight. Uh, Brett Rippian at number nine and Gardner Mishu at number 10. So Paul, I, I, honestly, I will kind of pivot off of this and, and hear your question just by saying that uh, for me, there is a decisive break between uh, quarterback three and quarterback four, in my opinion. And after that, I think for me, um, you could jumble up and tell me it's Jared Stidham at four, and I have no problem with that. You could tell me it's Drew Locke at four, and I, I have no problem with that. You could tell me it's Brett Ripian at four, and, I, and I, I don't know if I even have a problem with that. So, I mean, you know, I, I think I'm very open. I feel like those are really where I'm kind of leaning, though, in terms of my rankings right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we have nine of the ten names are the same names in your rankings and my rankings. Well, obviously, and, the tenth one is wrong on your part. So, <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, so it's okay, ladies and gentlemen. He's still getting it down. I'm, no. I'm still getting. It. I'm still not. <laughs> I'm still not on the Brett Ripping bandwagon. I've he doesn't heard, solve problems, Paul. He doesn't I've, solve the same problems. <laughs> I've heard Mark Schofield praise epically on him. I've heard Matt Wallman. I still can't get around to having him in my top ten. But that that's a different. Kind conversation. I wanted to start with this conversation because the the one question, and I had Sigmund Bloom on last week, and we talked about Dwayne Haskins a little bit. Which was bit. audio gold, by the way, listening to you guys talk. It was audio gold. Oh, it was fantastic. We went like 88 minutes, and I felt like we could have went, you know, another hour. Plus. Well, yeah. Well, that because you get beyond just the players, and that's what I think is just so fascinating. And that's what happens when you get a guy like Sigmund on, where he just takes the entire discussion to another plane of existence and understanding. And I think that's always what's fun. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins, the question I have for you, do you have concerns about how much space he needs around him? Because that was something that Sig was kind of talking about, that he thinks the space around him has to be very clean, that he his between his footwork and his stepping into his throws, his release, you know, his lack of mobility, he's concerned that he needs a lot of functional space around him. So if you have a really good offensive line, he's going to be eluded that functional space, and he's going to be afforded that functional space, kind of like he was at Ohio State. But he has concerns that at the NFL level, that might not always be the case. Teams, quarterbacks often don't have 
that functional space that they often need to play with and they have to be able to still be effective without that. Is that something that you have any concerns about Dwayne Haskins? Well, I, I think we're talking maybe about two sides of the same coin. I, I On the Fantasy Goodfellas podcast, I had an opportunity to talk about Dwayne Haskins kind of in an impromptu fashion. And, and one of the remarks that I actually brought up about Dwayne Haskins was this concept that he would need a strong running game to complement him early on in his career. And I think we're talking about maybe, you know, both sides of the same coin. You're saying a good offensive line in terms of pass protection to create that functional space. And I'm saying tactically we can create that in- that indecisiveness on the pass rushers and secondary linebacker side by having a strong run game, by making them honest in the actual, you know, honest within the actual box. It'll give him a little bit more of an opportunity to manipulate and create space for himself and create opportunities to throw with a little bit more timing and anticipation. So I don't know if it's really about the the space per se, but I do think that there's something to be said about how I do think he needs to have, I don't think he's ready to step into a role where he has, you know, complete command of the entire offense. He's going to need a strong running game that'll allow him the opportunity to kind of have multiple solutions in a given moment. And I think having the strong running game will complement that type of decision-making process for him. So I don't know if I disagree with uh, Sigmund. I think a good line will, will help any quarterback. Um, but I'm, I think we're saying the same thing. There's going to have to be some ancillary component, whether it be a good line for pass protection or a good running game that does assist Dwayne Haskins early on as he develops. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that is 100% uh, spot on. And I kind of agree with your stance on that. And, and you know, it, he's such a polarizing player because he started out as being a guy who most people thought was QB1, and now we're sitting here saying he could be QB4. Like, it, it's kind of a crazy, crazy arc, this this whole draft process with guys like that. My second question for you, and then I'll have one third question that is just you pounding the table for one guy out of your top five that you think could become an NFL starter because we know it's very hard to find a starter after the first handful of guys who get drafted, and that could be a quick one. But in your opinion, from the trio of Locke, Greer, and Jones, who do you think could if you had to pick one of them who you think could grow and develop into a better player than they are right now, we know you how you have them ranked. So you have them ranked based on the skill and talent that you currently see. But if you were doing a separate rankings of projecting growth and development from any of those three guys, who do you think from maybe the limitations that you currently see could maybe have the most growth and development to end up being the best out of that trio. You know what? It doesn't really change too much for me. I I think it's going to end up still being Will Greer. I mean, I I think that that's, I I think that's where I'm going to lean. I think that while I want to say that this year was all about skill and problem solving, it was, but that was very much a self-organizing process for me as well. I was still kind of searching the understanding for what that even meant as I was kind of still educating myself on a lot of different things. So I I would say that, you know, as I've kind of come to the end of this journey for at least this year, I, I would say that still Will Greer. And that's just because when I look at his overall game, you know, I look at the landscape of, of opportunities that he presents. I, I still think that Will Greer does offer the capacity, you know, to, to really, I think, even kind of 
bloom as a quarterback in today's game just because of the nature of the offenses, the types of defenses that we're seeing. I just see a, a more vastly kind of versatile problem solver than the other two guys. I, I, I really do. And then I see that that non that non-descriptive kind of uh demeanor in the way he in which he approaches the game there's I don't want to say swagger you can't measure swagger but you get my drift when you watch him play he's got a little bit of that it factor let's just yeah call it that he's got the (laughs) swagger I mean he he's got the moxie that 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 the terms I I vowed I would never use like I'm using because (laughs) I just enjoy watching the man play the game I think there's an intensity that he brings to every play which shows in the way he takes care of what he does and I think he wants to win I see that on the field I see a competitor I want to watch guys competing I don't want to watch guys that are going through the motions I'm not excited watching players that are super cerebral all the time I enjoy the idea of a player that you know the Patrick Mahomes and the guys are going to let it rip and and take chances in the Baker Mayfields and they're a little bit of a loose cannon I, I enjoy that a little bit and I I think Will Greer that's that's some of what it takes to be adaptive in the moment I think it takes creativity and and a little bit of trust in your own inner understanding of yourself to be great so yeah and listen i'm right there with you and will greer is one of those guys who he's just he's the kind of guy that he could throw three interceptions but if the score is 26 20 and he gets the ball back with two minutes i feel like he doesn't care about that three interceptions it's not even going to be on his radar it's not even going to be in his mindset and he's going to rally the troops and say let's go win this game we're down six i'm going to lead you down the field we're winning this game 27 26 and not only is he going to say that i feel like his teammates are going to believe it yeah and I think that's what's so fascinating about Will Greer. Well, you know what, Paul? And just not to just not to belabor this, but just to say that I, I felt the same way about Sam Darnold. And they're vastly different players on the field. Yeah, if that makes sense. One's not demonstratively uh, charismatic or uh, you know crazy as let's say Will Greer might be. But I, I still see that same thing from Sam Darnold. Why I liked him as well. So yeah. anyway, and final quarterback question for you: Out of your top five, and maybe it's who you have number six, but. Out of your top five, if you were going to pound the table for one guy, and if you were going to look into your crystal ball and say in three years, we were going to pick one of these quarterbacks from that group, and he was going to be now a part of the listing of names of Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Not that he's going to be at a Tom Brady or Russell Wilson's level, but you know what I mean. Those guys that go maybe late round three to round through round seven and become legitimate long-term starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Is there somebody from your f- six through 10 who you think in three years could join that list of a, a, a guy who became a good solid starting NFL quarterback from that six to 10 range? I, I'd be silly if I didn't say a guy at number six for me, Jared Stidham. Yeah. I and think that, I love him. I think that there's every reason to believe that he gets it right when he gets in the right situation. And I think that there's an opportunity for him waiting for him. And I, I think he can absolutely do it. So Paul, let me, let me do this then because I want to turn it around on you a little bit because I, I want to ask you, first of all, take me through your top 10 and then I want to go through a similar discussion, but I want to go through a little bit of a different point of view before we move on to running backs. Sure. So number one for me, like you, Dwayne Haskins, number two, Kyler Murray, v- almost almost insignificant difference between them. If I wanted to cop out and say 1A, 1B, I could have. I just made one, kept them at 1 and 2. To me, tear break after that. Then you have Drew Locke, Will Greer, Daniel Jones make up my 3, 4, 5. I think that's another tier. Then we got a tear break. 
Number six, Jared Stidham. Number seven, Ryan Finley. Number eight, Tyree Jackson. Number nine, Garden Minshew. And number 10, to round it out for me, Clayton Thorson out of Northwestern. So I, I, the first question that, that leaps to mind is when you look at your top five quarterbacks, who ends up being in the top half of all quarterbacks in the NFL? Do any of these guys work their way into the upper half of NFL quarterbacks? Or are these guys all long-term developmental projects? Or maybe just too many question marks to predict right now? I think Haskins and Murray become top half of the league starting quarterbacks. So to me, I feel confident saying those guys are going to be somewhere from above average to good to very good to great, somewhere in that stratosphere. I think the guys after it, the Locke, the Greer, the Jones, I think right now I see those guys as being guys who I think could all be starting quarterbacks. And if you follow me on Twitter, maybe some people might think that I think Daniel Jones is the worst prospect in the history of the NFL. And that's not true. It's just that for my favorite team, the Giants, I don't think he warrants being the sixth pick. I question whether he even warrants to be the 17th pick, but I can get it. And I, I tweeted something out yesterday, a great article uh, uh, from uh, Mike Tanier, I think from Bleacher Report about Daniel Jones and why the NFL likes him so much. And he comped them to Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton. I've been on record saying Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton type. And I guess I sometimes... I want more than that. If my team invests a first round pick, I'm hoping that they're shooting for a higher ceiling and upside than that, because I think that quarterback's good enough to win eight to 10 games, get you into the playoffs, but I'm not sure it can get you a deep into the playoffs. So I think Jones, I think Greer, and I even think Locke right now, I think are guys who are, could become really solid average starting NFL quarterbacks that maybe they their ceiling is somewhere between the 14th and the 18th best quarterback in the league, similar to where guys like Andy Dalton are and stuff like that. From that, Locke intrigues me the most because I think there's the most untapped potential because of his athleticism and his arm talent that maybe he can push his way. I like the comparison. Uh, I've heard Matt Stafford. I've used that. I've heard... Uh, uh, De- uh, Derek Carr. I can see that. I've heard Jay Cutler, but I think, you know, tool set Jay Cutler had all the tools. So I think Locke has the most upside from that group that maybe he can push his way to above average or good. But I think those guys in the middle all kind of just look to me as future average NFL quarterbacks somewhere in the middle of the league. And I'm not sure those guys win Super Bowls or go deep runs into the playoffs unless every single thing is around them perfectly. Well, and, let me, and that's my concern as a Giants fan. And then maybe taking somebody from that group. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me spin it this for you, this, and we'll make this the last question on quarterbacks and we'll move on. But let's assume right now, okay, the Giants end up taking defensive player, defensive player. And then in the top, top of the second round, they end up taking an offensive lineman. Okay, so now at this point, we're going to assume that Haskins, Murray, Greer, Jones, Locke, probably all off the board. If you had a take when they're just saying to you, hey, listen, we're going to go next year. We're going to wait for the quarterback class. We're going to wait for the sunshine. We're going to go for it. We're going to wait for that. Is there anybody in this quarterback class that you would say as not just a fan of the Giants, but let's just say as a as a fan of football that you would say is worth a shot on? Would there be anybody you would take? And if so, who is that person? I, listen, if in the if in the late third round they they took 
Jared Stidham, and you talked about him a lot. He, obviously, he's a guy that when this process started last August, he was in our top couple quarterbacks because of his his natural arm talent. His he checked off a lot of boxes, and then this year just you know kind of came crashing down, and a lot of it. You know, some of it was his fault. Some of it was the Auburn fault, but he's the easy answer because I think his talent level is more on par with the Locks Greers and the Joneses of the world. If we were going to kind of take him out of it because you talked about him, I do think there's a world and a scenario where how Ryan Finley plays could fit into the Giants scheme and what Shermer does, how the receivers now that are in place. He's to me a very much a guy who, yeah, I, I think Ryan Finley in the right scenario with good offensive line, good running game, and good weapons in the short to intermediate range could be a effective starting quarterback in the NFL. But I don't even know if he would get to that average level. I think he'd be one of those guys in like the 20 to 32 range where you're constantly always saying, we'd like to upgrade if we want to go further. Like to me, Ryan Finley is very, very similar to how I felt about Kyle Loletta last year. And we were excited about Kyle Luletta as a, as a guy early fourth round. I think late third round, early fourth round, I think that's where Ryan Finley is a good value. I guess we've seen the Giants do that two, two years in a row now with Davis Webb and then Kyle Luletta. So I wouldn't, as a fan, I wouldn't be a fan of them using another pick like that in the same similar range. Dave Gettleman went on a press conference like a month or two ago and said, most quarterbacks come from the first round. That's where we're looking. So I'm not sure if they don't use a quarter, a pick at 617 or 37 on a quarterback, I'm not sure they're going to invest another one. Now they have a lot of day three picks, so maybe there's someone that piques their interest. But Finley's the guy who I think would fit what they're thinking and trying to potentially create. And if they, if, if they have Daniel Jones as high as some people think, I think they look at Daniel Jones as a better, more polished, more ready player than a guy like Ryan Finley. And that's why they would take him in round one and not a guy like Ryan Finley in round three. But I think they would look at them very similar in being a little bit safe, a little bit conservative, a little bit average to above average at everything, but not elite at anything. Well, listen, I, I agree with you on a lot of those pieces, especially with Ryan Finley overall. And that's why let's transition this maybe to the running back position, Paul. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you first crack at it since you gave me the first crack at the quarterbacks. Take me through your top 10 and then we'll follow up with a couple of key questions that are along the same lines as we discussed with the previous position. Sure. So number one for me, Josh Jacobs. Number two, Rodney Anderson. Again, taking out all the medicals and the injuries, just talent and film alone. Post-draft dynasty rookie rankings, Rodney Anderson will not be this high. Number three, Miles Sanders. Number four, David Montgomery. Number five, Damian Harris. Number six, Darrell uh, Henderson. Number seven, Travion Williams. Number eight, Devin Singletary. Number nine, Justice Hill. And number 10, Bryce Love. Wow, very good. And I, I agree with a lot of those of you. And, and I'm just going to ask you now, if we're going into that top five range, you know, quarterback position is one of those positions that's really scheme dependent. It's very hard to become, let's say, an everything runner. So my question to you right now is, is there a guy in this top five or so? Let's take Josh Jacobs off the ball because I think the receiving capability will make him an easy choice. Um, Let's take Josh Jacobs out of the discussion. So for numbers two through six, is there a player that you think we're going to look back and say, wow, you know, we saw it coming. We thought it could happen, but now he's really translating and he's going to be clearly a three down option for this team. Who is player X in that scenario? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be Miles Sanders, but if I knew Rodney Anderson's medicals, he'd be the clear guy for me. Because to me, Anderson's talent level is on a Jacobs level. So I'll leave him out of it because I do think he's a three-down player that can do it all and would be in the consideration in the first round if his medicals were clean. But from Sanders, Montgomery, Harris, and Henderson, I think Sanders offers the most versatility and the most three-down potential. And he's got the least amount of wear and tear on his tires. And I think there's more development and growth still to come in his game. I think we know what we're getting with David Montgomery and Damian Harris, and that what we're getting is rock solid. And if he ends up in the right spot, those guys can be really productive NFL players. And Darrell Henderson, I like him. Big play threat, effective receiver. I think he can play on all three downs. I just like Miles Sanders' overall game a little bit more, and I think his game could could develop a little bit more than Henderson. But I think the, the margin between those guys, Sanders, Montgomery, Harris, and Henderson, is razor thin for me in terms of talent level. I think they're all going to go on night two of the NFL draft, and I think I think opportunity and, and spot are going to be most intriguing for those guys. But on pure talent in terms of developing the most, I would say it's Miles Sanders for me. And this year's Philip Lindsay is whom? I'm going to put two names. I'm going to cheat. One is Justice Hill, who I think is going to probably go late round uh, three or early round four. But the guy who I'm going to kind of say is going to go round five or round it, six. I know, I know who you're talking about. I think it's Travis Homer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think Travis <laughs> ding, ding, Homer. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I think Travis Homer. Right. It, he's, he's right below my Bryce Love at number 10. Travis Homer's number 11 for me. I think he could be the... The, the Philip Lindsay of this class. I think he can go round five, round six, maybe even round seven, but I just like his overall versatility, his skill set, his receiving ability. If we were ranking just on third down receiving change of pace potential, I think Travis Homer would be somewhere in my top five in that role. He's the guy that intrigues me the most uh, for that player. And, you know, for all of you out there that are eagerly waiting the uh, the ancient scripture we call the freshman notebook that's about to be unveiled uh, at the end of this month, um, you know, there's there's a ranking amongst the high school players that they call all-purpose backs. And all-purpose backs, if I had to do an all-purpose backs ranking, you would probably have Travis Homer right up there in the top three or four of that respective list. I have no doubt about that. So... I, I'm right there with you, Paul, and I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of go ahead and give you guys my top ten, and I'll just rattle off a couple of like big names there, and then Paul, maybe you guys can transition to the wide receivers. Sure. So I'm gonna go ahead. So number one for me is Josh Jacobs. Number two is David Montgomery. Number three is Rodney Anderson. Number four is Damian Harris. Number five is Darrell Henderson. Number six is Miles Sanders. Number seven is Devin Singletary. Followed up by number eight at Justice Hill. Number nine is Travion Williams, and number ten is Mike Weber and the elusive and greatly heralded Travis Homer does sit at number 11. So I wanted everybody to know that he is there right there at number 11. And, um, you know, when I look at this particular class for me, if I had to kind of pick a player that I think would end up being that three down back that we would all be saying, yes, that's the guy that we knew it's hard to deviate from Miles Sanders, but I, but I'll, I'll, I'll try a little bit. I think if I had a look at a three down back that I think is going to be, uh, more uh, capable than maybe we're giving credit for. I think Darrell Henderson could be a player to think about because I, I watched Darrell Henderson and you watch his agility on the field and it's hard not to be impressed by what he's able to do in different types of problems across the field, what he's able to do in tight spaces, what he's able to do uh, across the board as a receiver. I, I think there's going to be opportunity for him to maybe pick up the slack and be a player that we all kind of look at. So 
that's a guy that I'm very interested in. And again, that Philip Lindsay player is going to probably be Travis Homer for me as well. But if I'm going to, if I'm going to deviate and I'm going to go a little off the reservation and try to pick a player that is Philip Lindsay um, esque for me, I'm going to probably go and say that a player like Mike Weber is going to be that Philip Lindsay player for me because Mike Weber to me is going to end up showing people that he can do way more than he was capable than than he was asked to do at Ohio State and I think that's just the result of having a great player come in and behind him JK Dobbins and I don't think that's a reflection on what Michael Weber can actually do I think he's an NFL potential three down back and I think that people are going to see him uh, take hold of that role. Talk about tread on the tires. He doesn't have anywhere near as much uh, wear and tear as some of these guys in the top end of this list. So I love, I love Mike Weber as my Philip Lindsay of 2019. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, Weber's another intriguing name. Uh, I'm right there with you. He's at number 12 for me. So why don't we do this to to round out the running back position? I'm going to rattle down my next groups of guys, and then I'm just going to give you one or two names of guys that are I'm most intrigued with. I'm not going to go into much detail, just so people at least kind of hear the the rest of our rankings since running backs go so much deeper than quarterbacks, okay? So number 11, I had Travis Homer. Number 12, I had Mike Weber. Number 13, Raquel Armstead out of Temple. Number 14, uh, Darwin Thompson out of Utah State. Number 15, Dexter Williams out of Notre Dame. Number 16, Devon Zigbo. Number 17, Alexander Madison. Number 18, Tony Pollard. Number 19, Miles Gaskins. Number 20, James Williams. Number 21, Ty Johnson. Number 22, Alex Barnes. Number 23, LJ Scott. Number 24, Elijah Holyfield. And then I'll end with these last two, number 25 and number 26, Benny Snell Jr. and Jalen Moore out of Appalachian State. The ones that intrigue me the most, Raquel Armstead out of Temple, physicality, toughness, hard-nosed two-down runner. I think the NFL teams are going to look at him as like a Chris Carson type. Darwin Thompson, a Tariq Cohen, but even of a more physical runner than a guy like Tariq Cohen are probably the two names that intrigue me the most on that. And then Tony Pollard, the versatile offensive chess piece weapon out of Memphis, uh, who I've compared a lot to Naheem Hines from last year, intrigues me. And then so many of those big, tough physical guys, fascinated to see where they go. Williams, Azebo, Madison, you know, even as far down as LJ Scott, Elijah Holyfield, and those guys. So that's kind of what my running backboard looks like, Matt. Why don't you just kind of run down some more names on your list and maybe pick one or two that you're most intrigued by. So at number 11, I got Travis Homer. Number 12 is Elijah Holyfield. 13 is Miles Gaskin. 14 is Bryce Love. 15 is Raquel Armstead. 16 is Divine Ozigbo. Uh, 17 is Alex Barnes. 18 is Alexander Madison. 19 is a player I just can't quit no matter how hard I try, Demarie Crockett. Uh, number 20 is Tony Pollard. Number 21 is Dexter Williams. 22 is Jalen Moore. 23 is Ty Johnson. And 24 is LJ Scott. And rounding out number 25 uh, and 26 is uh, James Williams from Washington State and Benny Snell Jr. from Kentucky. So out of all those guys, the guys that in, that intrigue me the most is I think Elijah Holyfield is a player that I, I think is far more skilled on the football field than he is in any type of, you know, representative kind of, you know, drill that you're going to give him at the combine. I, I don't hold that guy against him. I understand why people are concerned, um, but he's a player that on film, I just watch him play and I just can't run away from what he does on the field as a player. Um, call it perfect circumstances could very much melt, you know, be very much well and true. Um, but I, you know, I argue that there's an opportunity for him at the next level. 
Another player that I think is really impressive for me is I've grown to to appreciate Alexander Barnes, uh, Alexander Madison, and Alex Barnes. I, th- I think those guys are very versatile players. I think they're good receivers. I think they offer um, uh, you know an opportunity to round out a depth chart for a particular team. I really like what they bring to the table as well. And if I had to go to a deep sleeper, a very, very deep sleeper, I'll give you two guys that are deep for me. Ty Johnson and James Williams are just guys that I really, really, really like. Um, Ty Johnson, to me, is not an every-down-everything runner, but he is very much a part of a committee that I could see getting regular work, both on special teams and on third downs. He could be a player that I think is very, very good in terms of affecting the game as a runner in space. And James Williams, uh, you know, James... Williams is a player that I feel the same way about as well. I mean, Washington State, when you watch him play, I mean, he was nothing short of lightning in a bottle. And I think James Williams is probably one of the more versatile all-around backs in this class. It's just that, you know, when I watched him at Washington State and the offense that they said, the landscape of problems that I got a chance to watch him kind of solve um, really left me still with some questions about how is it going to be when there's tighter creases, when it's a little bit more of a collision based scenario, he has to move the pocket, you know, what, you know, he has to move the offensive guard. He has to push the pile. You know, what is he going to be able to do in those situations? And I never feel like I really got a feel for that. Um, that's not to say that it, it's critical, but it's something is why he was so low. But again, he's a guy that I wouldn't be shocked if, if I'm if I'm going to go away from Mike Weber as a as a, as a Philip Lindsay guy, maybe Mike Weber is too high to be Philip Lindsay. If we're going to go in the landscape of round seven slash UDFA, James Williams might be that guy, and he might be that Philip Lindsay this year. Yeah, and listen, I, I'm a big fan of James Williams. I think in the world that we live in today, he's the prototypical space player for all these teams that want to spread him out, want a receiver to come out of the backfield. He can be a guy that can create mismatches and havoc for linebackers who got to try to cover him when he comes out of the backfield. So I, I'm intrigued. He might be a sixth or seventh round pick, but I think there's a role for him at the NFL level. And like you said, he's another guy who could be in that mold that could surprise people and have an immediate role. So let's take this right to wide receivers and I'm going to jump right in because this is such a deep position. I'm going to rattle off my top 15 right here and then we can talk about some things and then you can go through yours as well. At the top for me, number one, AJ Brown out of Ole Miss. Number two, Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. Number three, Calvin Harmon out of NC State. Number four, DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss. Number five, Debo Samuel out of South Carolina. Number six, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. Number seven, Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. Number eight, Paris Campbell. Number nine, Riley Ridley. Number 10, McCole Hardman. Number 11, Andy Isabella. Number 12, Emmanuel Hall. Number 13, Miles Boykin. Number 14, J.J. Orsiga-Whiteside. And number 15, Stanley Morgan Jr. out of Nebraska. I think in terms of some things that stand out in this, one, I'll start right at the top with Calvin Harmon, who's now my number three wide receiver. Seems to be a big discrepancy between what some people think of him and what the NFL thinks of him. Sounds like he might be a guy that goes late round three or even potentially early round four. And once upon a time, I think most people thought he had a shot at round one, if not early round two. I'm still not quitting him. I think his play speed is good. I think he varies his, his speed on the field, which I think is important. I think he's a technical savvy route runner, even though he doesn't have great separation quickness. He wins with ball and body control ball skills and body control, and I love his ability to win on back shoulder throws and use his physicality and toughness. So I still like Harmon. 
Debo Samuel, I think, is the most versatile weapon. I think he might be the safest wide receiver in this whole class. That I think, in terms of uh, you know, bust factor, I think I don't see a scenario where Debo busts. I think that's intriguing. Uh, I think Paris Campbell's a better route runner than maybe people are giving him credit for, and a dangerous weapon. Riley Ridley, I le- I still think that he's. The NFL thinks highly of him, his route running, his possession style. I think he's an interesting player. And then a guy like Stanley Morgan Jr., a surprise guy there, not on a lot of people's top 15 boards. I just love his play strength, his physicality, one of the best route runners in the class, good hands, and better athleticism, quickness, and and uh, ability to make things happen after the catch. And I think people let on. So I think it's a fascinating wide receiver class. I think you can almost mix and match those guys in so many different ways. I mean, if I said Marquise Brown was my number one or Calvin Harmon, I think that's okay. For me, Brown, uh, Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, Calvin Harmon, those guys are all close at the top. D.K. Metcalf obviously is highest ceiling as just about anybody, but I think his floor you know, it could be low too unless he develops a little bit more. Uh, so much intrigue with those wide receivers. Matt, any thoughts or questions for me on my 15 before you want to uh, rattle off yours? No, I, I think there, I think I really don't actually, because I think that the wide receiver position this year is as about eclectic as you can possibly get. I, I don't think that there is a right answer. I don't think there are guys that are clear cut favorites. I think the guys that you had as the clear top guys are going to agree with me as well. And I think after that, that's where we'll kind of get a little bit of disparity, but it's good to see some disparity just to kind of get some context here. So for me, I'll just get right into it. For me, number one is AJ Brown. Number two is Kelvin Harmon. Three is DK Metcalf. Four is Debo Samuel. Five is Riley Ridley. Six is Nikhil Harry. Seven is Terry McLaurin. Eight is Emmanuel Hall. Nine is Marquise Brown. Ten is Hakeem Butler. Eleven is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Twelve is Antoine Wesley. Uh, Thirteen is Hunter Renfro. Fourteen is Stanley Morgan. Fifteen is Jalen Hurd. So some obvious omissions you might kind of immediately say, what about Paris Campbell? What about Paris Campbell? What about Paris Campbell? And Paris Campbell for me, you know, listen, it doesn't matter. It's what I feel about these players and what I feel about their current skill level. If a team ends up banking on Paris Campbell being their wide receiver two or their starting slot receiver in 2019, and they spend a second round pick, it doesn't matter. I think Paris Campbell is a guy that can develop with experience. So if a team is going to invest in that experience and and giving him that developmental opportunity early, then it doesn't matter where he is on my board. So, I mean, Paris Campbell currently sits at number, I think at number 17 for me. Yeah, number 17 for me, uh, just behind Miles Boykin. It doesn't matter to me because, you know, that's kind of where I see his skill right now. If we're going to talk about projecting where he's going to be, um, then I can understand that there's a, a whole world of projection for a lot of these players. I'm just not, I, it's just not a player that I would invest in. It's just not a player I would invest in that early in the draft. And as a result, I'd probably put him at like a, you know, a three, four, um, maybe fourth round grade on him, three, four, fourth round grade, third, fourth round grade. That's kind of where I would invest in Paris Campbell. And, and could he develop into a very, you know, good player? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that the skill levels of players that I have above him, it's just because of what I think they've already shown in terms of what they can do. So it's, it's again, it's that, idea of projection versus current skill level. I'm kind of leaning a little bit more towards current skill level right now with some of these players. And I think Paris Campbell has oodles and oodles of, of upside to him. 
I just tried to stay true to that in my rankings this year. What's their current skill level, minimal projection? That's kind of where I, that I stayed with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think those are all fair points. I actually want to pose a question to you about your number eight player. He's number sixteen for me, but I I like him a lot. He's just kind of the way the rankings fell. Terry McLaurin to me. I was on the Harris Football Podcast a couple weeks ago, and Harris and uh and Chris asked me about McLaurin, and I said that I see a I see a lot, and I think the NFL is going to like him more, and I think the NFL might be higher on him uh, than I am, similar to what you think. Because I think McLaurin reminds me a lot of a Golden Tate type player. And Golden Tate at Notre Dame and early in his career in Seattle was a guy who could win on the outside, could also win on the inside. So he was inside, outside versatility, really strong, physical, you know, in terms of his play style, very much like a Golden Tate type player, had the athleticism and quickness to make plays after the catch, great special teams player. What is it about McLaurin that really intrigues you to have him, you know, in your top eight in such a really deep and talented wide receiver class for him to be there? There had to be a couple of things that really caught your eye. I, I think it's because of the actual skill he shows in his route running. I think his route running capability is way more nuanced than people give him credit for. I think if you watch him actually, you know, it's funny, Paul, and, and I don't mean to deviate from our discussion, but it, but maybe to give people more context, you know, as I've been kind of looking more and more at skill development, it's really kind of taken me around the horn in a lot of different sports because sometimes the way we understand skill in one sport um, is clouded by the limitations of our own sport. And we need to kind of go outside of our sport at times to maybe get a better understanding of what skill progression could look like, what types of information could make sense. Um, and I've kind of done that in the sense that I, I, I kind of was, was started watching um, a, a guy by the name of Luke Thomas on YouTube. And Luke Thomas uh, does a, a show on um, mixed martial arts. And it's something called Monday Morning Analyst. And what he does is he does a really fantastic job painting the picture of how players kind of change and develop and play against one another within the context of a fight. And I don't know anything really about fighting, but it's just interesting to hear him paint an analysis. And with Terry McLaurin, I see a lot of those elements that I've kind of been exposed to through this kind of journey through other sports. McLaurin is just a really, really sensitive, sensitive route runner. He understands and watches and understands how to adapt to how the player in front of him is trying to beat him. It's as much its own little kind of tail of the tape watching them go at each other, DBs versus him, than it is anything else. Like, I mean, he's never going to give you the same type of fake or feint. He's always going to do things like flash, whether it's with his eyes, his shoulders, or his head movements. He's going to manipulate you into a place where he can attack you weak side, whether that's your weak hip to get your hips turned, whether it's a weak shoulder, or he's going to attack your imbalances. He's going to create an imbalance as well. He's a guy who can create the disadvantage and also win the disadvantage. And that is what I want in a route runner, a guy who sees the game within the game as being just as important. And McLaurin, for me, is a route runner in this class, probably next to Hunter Renfro and Stanley Morgan. Those guys see the game within the game of trying to win against the opponent in front of them as well as the all the other players in coverage around them. They see the bigger picture and they hark in on the details that really allow them to kind of separate in the open field or create the advantage for themselves in a given play. So that's really what stands out to me for McLaurin. It's, it's just that ability to play the game within the game 
as a receiver, both as a route runner and in many other facets of the game. That's just that's where I see McLaurin. That's why I'm so high on him. Yeah, listen, I think McLaurin's very intriguing. I think he, he again, these Ohio State receivers, players, I think sometimes they just kind of get lost in the shuffle because there's so many good athletic wide receivers and, and people in that offense. I even think Johnny Dixon, the other wide receiver, has a legitimate chance to get drafted late, and people are barely talking about him. But I think the NFL might be a little bit higher on him uh, than, than some people are. So he's another intriguing one. Similar to the running backs, let's rattle off our next group of people and one or two guys that maybe stand out. For me, number 16, we just talked about him, Terry McLaurin. Number 17, Anthony Johnson out of Buffalo. Number 18, Jalen Hurd out of Baylor. Number 19, Keelan Doss out of UC Davis. Number 20, Antoine Wesley out of Texas Tech. Number 21, Deontay Johnson out of Toledo. Number 22, Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State. Number 23, Greg Dortch out of Wake Forest. Number 24, Penny, Ho- Penny Hart out of Georgia Southern. 25, Hunter Renfro out of Clemson. 26, Tyree Brady out of Marshall. 27, Dylan Mitchell out of Oregon. 28, Darius Slayton out of Auburn. 29, Preston Williams out of Colorado State. Number 30, Cody Thompson out of Toledo. Number 31, Gary Jennings out of West Virginia. Number 32, David Sills out of West Virginia. Number 33, Demarcus Lodge out of Ole Miss. Number 34, Travis Fulgram out of Old Dominion. And number 35, I just mentioned his name, Johnny Dixon out of Ohio State. In that group, obviously you got those slot guys, Dorch, Hart, Renfro, all guys who I think bring different things. Hunter Renfro is going to be that reliable third down chain mover, like a Wayne Corbett type, always super reliable. I think Greg Dorch has more uh, big play potential after the catch, pick up more yards, make plays happen in the open field. I think Penny Hart is a little bit between the two of them in terms of better route runner than maybe Dorch, but not as much explosion after the catch. So those are interesting. Darius Slayton is a big play threat, can get vertical, kind of got lost in that Auburn uh offense. I think he might be more intriguing at the NFL level. I think they could like him more. He could even be a surprise, you know, early fourth round pick. Preston Williams, obviously very talented, former Tennessee volunteer. Does he get drafted? Obviously elite statistical season at Colorado State, but a lot of off the field issues uh, that are potentially hurting his stock. And then he did not test well. Obviously, Matt and I have been big fans of the Toledo guys for quite some time. I have two in that group, Deontay Johnson and Cody Thompson, both really intriguing players like their athleticism, like their versatility and their route running. Those are two guys. Keep a close eye on. I'm really interested in both of those guys. And then obviously Jalen Hurd. We had a long conversation with him, with Matt Wallman a couple weeks ago. Really versatile player who I think could continue to develop. And in three, four years, Jalen Hurd could be one of the top 10 wide receivers from this draft class in terms of transitioning to the NFL. So Matt, why don't you run down your next group, however deep you want to go, and then maybe pick one or two guys that stand out. Yeah, I mean, so for me, the next group of guys for me after, uh, well, I'm just going back to 16. Here we go. Uh, so at 16, I got Miles Boykin. At 17, I have Paris Campbell. 18, I have Andy Isabella. 19, I have Anthony Johnson. 20, I have Preston Williams. 21, I have McCauley Hardman. 22 is Greg Dortch. 23 is Jacoby Myers. 24 is Keyshawn Johnson. 25 is Cody Thompson. 26 is Little Jordan Humphrey. Um, 27 is Penny Hart. 28 is Deontay Johnson. 29, Terry Godwin. 30 is Tyree Brady. 31, David Sills. 32, Keelan Doss. 33 is Demarcus Lodge. 34 is Travis Fulgram. And 35 is Darius Slayton from Auburn. Um, 
I, I got to tell you, out of all these guys, the guys that I'm obviously going to pound the table for are Cody Thompson. I think that he is, if he wasn't injured and we weren't dealing with an injury-ridden history for him, I think we're talking about a player who could easily, easily be a contributor at the next level and potentially be a starter by year two. So I really like Cody Thompson. I think he's a scheme versatile guy. I do think that there's opportunities for him to win in a variety of ways. Um, if he's back to full strength, I think he's very interesting. Deontay Johnson from Toledo. I think we we hear a lot about him. There's, there's a player who wins in all different ways from the slot to the outside, the numbers. He's a player that I, I really am excited about. I think there's a lot of opportunity for him. He's a player who can get on the field early. I think he's going to be able to contribute in a lot of ways for a team. He's a player I'd be citing and keeping an eye on. I think Tyree Brady from Marshall is just a rock solid wide receiver. I don't think he does anything outstandingly well, but I think he does everything very, you know, at a, at a functional level. I think he's a functional wide receiver. I think teams are going to like the fact that they have good depth with him. So I think he's impressive. And Jacoby Myers is a player that I was kind of late to the party on. It was somebody that always flashed during, um, you know, Kelvin Harmon film. And he's a player that I think offers that big slot receiver type role. I think he's a little bit more nuanced in his route running capabilities. We talk about, you know, winning the game within the game as a route runner. And I definitely see that from Jacoby Myers. And I think that he does things across the board. I mean, in contested situations, he understands how to use his leverage and his body to win at the catch point. He's a very, very solid route runner. I think he really does present a good big slot type opportunity for a team that might be interested and I agree with you, Paul, and I'm probably too low on him, to be honest with you, is Darius Slayton from Auburn. Darius Slayton is a player that, you know, uh, I believe he was on Ole Miss prior to this. And, you know, he was a guy that during every single game um, would always uh, kind of flash in terms of what he offered. And I could be mistaken about that, but I, I, I believe he was prior to being on Auburn. But either way, on Auburn itself, Darius Slayton is a guy who I think is an absolute vacuum cleaner of hands. He may not be the, you know, the physical build that you might think of when you think of the NFL, just because he is a little bit leaner than you may think. Um, but in terms of what he can do at the catch point, in terms of his body control, in terms of his catch radius, in terms of what he can do in and out of his breaks, in terms of setting up the break, creating separation, he has that control within his physical capabilities to be as agile as you could ask for as a route runner. And I think he makes a nice slot receiver at the, potentially the next level. So I, I really like Darius Slayton as a guy who could surprise, and I'm probably too low on him. So those are the guys that, that kind of really speak to me. Um, one place that we did differ is obviously, um, you know, uh, talking about Preston Williams and, you know, that player as well as uh, little Jordan Humphrey, as well as players like that. So Paul, just out of curiosity, as we kind of transition this maybe to the tight end position before we get there, if you had a, if you had a pick, if you had to pick a player that you really do believe 24, you know, I don't know, two years from now, we're going to look back at this draft and say there was a player we all should have been higher on. Give me somebody from that 16 through 35 range that you think is going to be that player that we should have been all higher on. But we but we there were indications, but we just didn't buy in. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll leave Terry McLaurin out of it because I do think he's more in that top 15 group, and we talked about him a lot. I'll, I'll leave Jalen Hurd out of it because I do think he, I already talked about it in three years, he could be a guy that we look at as top 10. I think flying under the radar, I'm going to stick with one of the Toledo guys, and I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson. I think his combination of athleticism, speed, and route running ability make him a really intriguing player that I think he's a guy who, again, is probably going to go in round four or round five, but I think he's going to work his way up to be a guy that we look at as a, you know, a really rock solid starting wide receiver, top three on a depth chart, impactful player at the next level from that group. Obviously, I think the slot guys are all going to be impactful in their own way, but I think Deontay Johnson is the one that has a higher ceiling to be a guy, uh, from that group, not named McLaurin or Hurd, that could really stand out from the group. Yeah, and for me, if I had to, if I had to buy into a guy that I think we're all going to look back at and say, "Wow, I'm going to take Deontay Johnson out of it," because you already mentioned him, so I'm just going to go a little bit off the reservation here. I'm going to say a player that we should have probably been all higher on, but weren't. I'm going to say it's probably going to end up being, it's probably going to end up being Keyshawn Johnson. I, I think Keyshawn Johnson is just going to be a rock solid player. Um, I think that he, Cody Thompson would have been my pick, but I already talked about him earlier, but I think Keyshawn Johnson is going to be the guy that I'm going with. I think in terms of what he can do as a route runner, in terms of what he does as the catch point, I think he's a player that could end up being better than we all give him credit for. So Paul, let's transition now to the, the tight end position. As we look at the tight end position, we've talked all the time about how kind of star studded it is in terms of potential as well as current skill level. So Paul, why don't you go ahead and rattle off your top 10 at the position and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so number one is TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. Number two is Earth Smith Jr. out of Alabama. Number three is Noah Fant out of Iowa. Number four is Jay Sternberger out of Texas A&M. Number five is Dawson Knox out of Ole Miss. Number six is Cahale Waring out of San Diego State. Number seven is Josh Oliver out of San Jose State. Number eight is Alzey Mack out of Notre Dame. Number nine is Caden Smith out of Stanford. And number 10 is Isaac Nauta out of Georgia. From that, I think obviously some things that stand out, Irv Smith being ahead of Noah Fant. I've talked about that numerous times in the past, his immediate route running, his immediate transition to the NFL level. I think Noah Fant is going to have a little bit more of a difficult transition. I still love the player. They're both still in my overall top eight from this draft class in terms of offensive prospects. I just think Irv Smith is going really under the radar. I love his route running ability, his ability after the catch. I think while he's a little bit on the smaller side, I think he's a very functional to above average blocker. So I don't think he's a guy that can't line up in line as well. And I think he is really going to transition nicely to the NFL level. Dawson Knox and Cahill Waring are two guys I think I'm most intrigued and fascinated with. Dawson Knox, not a lot of production, but athleticism. Base two-way player, can, good blocker, but a lot of athleticism to be an impactful receiver. And then Cahill Waring, obviously late to the party. He was not a guy we were on from last summer. Uh, not until he declared, really, did I really start digging into him. But I think he's fascinating. I think his upside is as high as the top three guys in this class uh, in terms of a guy in a couple years who could be you know, a guy that we're not talking about and could be on a level with the, the elite guys in this class. I think Warren is the guy that can make the biggest jump. So I'm really fascinated with him. And then I mentioned it last week when I recorded with Sig Bloom. I think Alzey Mack is the wild card. He's my Christopher Herndon, a guy who could go on day three in round four, round five, who I think could 
be a better NFL player than we saw in his college tape and could be a guy that surprises people. So that's kind of a quick rundown of my top 10 with a couple things that stand out. Any questions on any of my top 10 that you see or you want to run down yours? No, I mean, I think the guys that stood out to me is I think that Alizé Mack is a very, very interesting player. What do you, why, why the change of heart on him or where did you kind of, what was your journey through his film and, and where you are finally with him? Yeah. So, I mean, Mack has always been in that six to through 10 range for me. It's just that he's always been a guy who I, I understood why he was flying on the radar because you put on Notre Dame tape and, and you don't see him making a big impact. And he's a guy that's been well known in the Devi community for years and years because he was a big time recruit. Then he, he sat out a season and he's never really lived up to the potential of what his, you know, you know, star rating was coming out of high school. But I think he's a guy that has developed his blocking to the point where he's now a functional to, you know, average blocker. And he's still got a lot of untapped potential and upside. So for people who are really liking Dawson Knox, I think I don't think I think Alze Mack is the reduced version of that. If Dawson Knox is going to go in round two or round three, I think Alze Mack offers a lot of the similarities in terms of a good athletic profile, versatility to be a receiving weapon and a blocker, and he's going to go rounds later. So I like you know just like Christopher Herndon was slept on last year in the pre-draft process. I think Alze Mack is being slept on a little bit because I do think he's got versatility to, to be an impact on all three downs. I think he's got more receiving upside than what we saw. And I think he's developed enough in the blocking game to at least be functional there to average and not be a guy that can't line up in line at the next level at times as well. So that's kind of why Mack is kind of where he is. And I, I, I could see for other people him maybe being down to 12 or 13. Uh, and I get that, but I'm a little bit higher on him. No, I listen, I have Alizé Mack at 15, and that's not because I don't agree with everything that you just said. It's more or less like, you know, okay, so we have to put these guys in some type of order. But I think it's a testament to the entire tight end class that I could say that very confidently I agree with what you said. And yet I still feel like I'm okay with where I am. And yet I think that they can both be right. They can still end up both being good evaluations because they can still end up being guys, no matter what you're talking about, could end up being contributors and very good contributors at that at the next level. So, I mean, let, let me kind of go through my guys. I mean, I got a number one, I got TJ Hawkinson. Number two, I have Irv Smith Jr. Three, I have Noah Fant. Four, I have Jay Sternberger. Five, I have Dawson Knox. Six, I have Josh Oliver. Seven, I have Cahill Waring. Eight, I just can't quit. Isaac Nauta, who probably won't be drafted, but that's un- I, I, any team that gets him is going to love him, but I'm let's forget it. Okay, number nine is Caden Smith. Number 10 is Foster Moreau. Uh, number uh, 11 is Trayvon Wesco. And the only reason why I bring him up is because he was a guy, again, Throughout this time, I mean, you know, two man operation, you only get so much time in a week to watch anybody. Um, I really do like him, and he's a guy that shot up the board for me. So the guys that kind of speak out about my guys is Isaac Nauta. I, I mean, let's talk about why I still won't let him die. You know, I won't. I won't because I think that when I watch him as a prospect and I watch what he can do on the field, I just see tremendous versatility. And if you're asking about a player that I think, can win in a lot of different ways for you on the team, whether it be in a role as an inline blocker or be as a, as a slot tight end, you know, in that kind of flexed out tight end version, 
I think Isaac Nauta is just a better football player than any of his testing will indicate. I think he's going to be assignment sound in what he does on the field. I don't think there's going to be an issue with him being coachable. And I think that when it comes to the tight end position and seeing playing time early, I wouldn't be shocked if Isaac Nauta is seeing the field earlier than anybody would ever think. You know, we talk about the Philip Lindsay's of the world as a way of talking about running backs, but Isaac Nauta could be the Philip Lindsay of the world in terms of the tight end position. I just think he's that good in terms of his acumen on the field, in terms of the way he plays the game. I just think that he just wasn't really utilized all that much at Georgia. And I understand all of the naysayers about his testing. And, and you know what? That's going to put him in a very precarious situation. I kid not when I say he may not even be drafted. And I think any team willing to risk it on Isaac Nauta and bring him in is going to find one of the better tight ends in this class. But you're going to have to you're going to have to believe that his testing doesn't tell the whole story. So I I, I still kind of burn a candle for Isaac Nauta. And listen, it may end up being wrong. And and if it and if so, you know I I still think this guy um, is a player that a team could benefit from having on their team. Yeah, listen, I'm going to sit there and continue to say the Jack Doyle comparisons. Jack Doyle's athletic profile, horrific. Isaac Nauta's profile, horrific. But Jack Doyle has developed into a very solid NFL player. And I think Isaac Nauta still has that capability. And again, it just goes to this. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. My guess is he does get drafted, but my guess is it's probably somewhere, you know, on day three, round five, six, or seven. This class, though, is fascinating from the tight end perspective. I mean, we stopped at 10, but for me, 11 is Caleb Wilson, 12 is Tommy Sweeney, 13 is Dax Raymond, 14 is Foster Moreau, 15 is Trayvon Wesco, who I love what you just talked about him, 16 is Drew Sample. Those 16 guys, in my opinion, all deserve to go in the first five rounds of the NFL draft. I agree. 16 tight ends. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, after that... after that, it really thins out, but 16 tight ends have a legitimate chance to go in the top 150 picks, I think, in this NFL draft, and all could be impactful to average to solid role players at the next level. 16 well, deep. Paul, let me do this, because we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of the show, and I want to kind of round it out here, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Maybe we can talk about our big board here, because I don't know about you, but stacking my big board this year in terms of skill players was one of the more challenging tasks because I really had to take, make a decision about positional value, skill development, potential, all of that. So why don't we, why don't we do this? Let's go through the top 20, your top 20 to give people an idea of the number of wide receivers, quarterbacks, tight ends that we might've taken in the top 20. So Here's our top 20 skill players. Paul, I'll let you roll first. Sure, and I, and I will preface this that I do put a slight bump up in positional value on quarterbacks. Absolutely. because Absolutely, so do I. I'm right there with you. So again, this is not top 20 in terms of dynasty rookie drafts. My no. top 20 in terms of dynasty rookie drafts, if I was forced to do a dynasty rookie draft right now, the court, while I would draft a lot on talent and skill, positions like quarterbacks and tight ends that are just not as valued as much in some fantasy formats, this would look a little bit different. So, this would be like me and you are drafting for the 33rd NFL team. Exactly. So quarterbacks get bumped up the board if I think that they're warranted of being starting caliber and then everything else is just based on talent alone. So for me, it's Dwayne Haskins 1, Kyler Murray 2, Josh Jacobs 3, TJ Hawkinson 4, 
Irv Smith, five. A.J. Brown, six. Noah Fant, seven. Marquise Brown, eight. Calvin Harmon, nine. D.K. Metcalf, 10. Number 11 is Drew Locke. Number 12 is Debo Samuel. Number 13 is Nikhil Harry. Number 14 is Hakeem Butler. Number 15 is Rodney Anderson. Number 16 is Miles Sanders. Number 17 is Will Greer. Number 18 is Daniel Jones. Number 19 is Damian Harris. And number 20 is Paris Campbell. I think we literally have 19 of the 20 the same. <laughs> I think we have literally 19 of the 20 the same. Slightly different order, which is which is still interesting. Slightly different order. But um, I think we have like 19 of the 20 pretty much the same. So <laughs> double check my math, actually. Um, we have maybe one player, I think, that are different. But double check, double check. I think I, I, think I, I do think I skipped somebody, though, because I'm looking at my big board right now. And Paris Campbell is actually number 21 for me. So I might have skipped somebody or my numbers went off as I was doing it. So on my actual big board, Damien Harris is 20. Paris Campbell is 21. So I might have just I might have gave somebody this. I might have said the same number twice. And that's how I ended up giving 20 names. Uh, I saying 21 names for 20 spots, but I will, I will check with you when, as you go through. Okay. All right, here we go. So number one for me is Dwayne Haskins. Number two is Kyler Murray. Number three is TJ Hawkinson. Number four is Josh Jacobs. Number five is Will Greer. Number six is Irv Smith Jr. Number seven is AJ Brown. Number eight is Noah Fant. Number nine is Kelvin Harmon. Number 10 is DK Metcalf. Number 11 is Debo Samuel. Number 12 is Daniel Jones. 13 drew Locke. 14, David Montgomery. 15 is Rodney Anderson. 16 is Riley Ridley. 17 is Nikhil Harry. 18 is Damian Harris. 19 is Miles Sanders. And rounding out my top 20 are Terry McLaurin at number 20. Yeah, so there's only two differences. You have Riley Ridley and Terry McLaurin in yours. And I believe that for me, I had, uh, I, I think Butler. I had. You had Hakeem Butler. I had Hakeem Butler. And Marquise and, Brown. And Marquise Brown. So those yep. are the those are the two differences. And if we're if we're going on it, Riley Ridley is number. Uh, I believe Riley Ridley is number twenty. Uh, Riley Ridley is number twenty two for me. So he's right there. Yep. Riley Ridley is number twenty two for me. McLaurin is a little bit further down, but uh, you know, obviously, well, no, no. Uh, I mean, very I have, similar. I have, yeah, I have Marquise Brown at number twenty two, and twenty three is Hakeem Butler. So I mean, I'm right there with you. Um, 21 is Emmanuel Hall. So, I mean, you're talking about all the same things, but what I think is interesting is I think that, you know, the number of quarterbacks, the number of tight ends, I mean, looking at mine, I basically have in my top 20, I have five quarterbacks in my top 20. I have three tight ends in my top 20 and I have five running backs in my top 20. The rest are wide receivers. So that kind of gives you an idea of how I would stack this board in terms of skill. And you know what? Like I said, at the end of the day, you know, we're we're choosing for this vacuous kind of 33rd team. You know, we don't know what the depth chart is. You've got to try to fill holes that make sense for your team if you're trying to build something like a championship football team. So obviously these are just how we would stack it in a vacuum, which means absolutely nothing in reality. Um, but at least it's interesting to see the number of players at each position that we did have in our top 20. And Paul, I think we're pretty much the same on that in terms of relatively the number of players at each respective position. And I think that's kind of interesting when you start looking at the big board. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, and, and this is where reality and fantasy, there isn't as much overlap. Like we've talked about it at length that draft capital is so important. Draft capital is important. You know, I love Calvin Harmon. You love Calvin Harmon. But if Calvin Harmon goes in the fourth round, yeah, it's just, I mean, let's matter. be realistic. We, he's not a first round dynasty rookie pick. He's probably not even an early second round rookie pick. He's probably a guy that me and you start thinking about in the mid second round. Unless he other, goes like fourth round to the Packers, for example. Oh, yeah. Or the Patriots don't invest in any other wide receiver, right, but right. him. Scenarios. Like, there are scenarios, but there are very scenarios. few. But I think Calvin Harmon is one of those guys where, yeah, we have him really high on our board. We still like him more than most. And we probably will get him in most rookie drafts. That's right. Because while we won't take him in round one or early round two, we'll probably start thinking about him because of his talent and how much we like him in the mid-second round, where other people, if he goes on day three, probably aren't even going to start thinking about him until round three of a rookie draft. So he'll still be higher in our rankings probably than some people's rankings and many people in your league, but we can't be so naive to not draft based on what happens between draft capital, immediate opportunity, depth chart, scheme, quarterback, all that goes into play when you're making your dynasty rookie rankings and your dynasty rookie big board after the draft. So much of that. Like I keep saying Marquise Brown keeps going in like the late second round to early third round in mock dynasty rookie drafts. If he's the only wide receiver that goes in round one, He's not going late second round or early third round in rookie drafts. He's going somewhere in round one or at the absolute latest early round two in a rookie draft, even if people are a little bit concerned about some of his limitations. And that's just kind of the way it is in, in, in terms of fantasy. You know, so th- you do got to react to what happens on draft weekend. And, and that's part of the fun of it. You know, seeing the differences, you, we still have our guys. And there's still going to be guys that we look to take in our rookie drafts, but you can't be so naive to keep them where you have pre-draft because then you're not, then you're making mistakes and you're not playing the game that fantasy is. You, you got to play the game correctly and understand about value in a draft and what draft capital means and the impact it has because you're trying to mitigate risk in terms of fantasy football, especially in your first and second round pick. Like you can't say, oh, I love this guy so much. I'm going to take him as my first round pick, but the NFL didn't take him to round four because he might never get an opportunity to start. Like you can't, you can't be that, you know, you can't be that naive to the situation. I think at times, maybe listen, maybe he turns out to be the best, but I still think the odds are in favor of taking into account everything to make those post uh, rookie rankings. And that's, that's the fun of it. It it, it truly is. Any final thoughts on this? No, just to, to, to kind of lay one thing on you guys before you guys get out of here. I, I think about this exercise as being a crafting your pool of players and prioritizing players that you might be more interested in. So when they've had that first big kind of training camp, training camp blurb on Roto World, you're the one pouncing in your league. Or when they have that first big kind of preseason game, you're the one pouncing in your league. When they have that first kind of five catch, you know, 78 yard game with a touchdown, you're the one kind of pouncing in your league. You're crafting kind of your alertness level to all these players when you're doing these exercises. And that's kind of what we shared with you, hopefully. I mean, I can tell you what I've said before, Paul, and I I know Paul agrees with this. We put out there authentically exactly what we do. 
if if we're wrong, we're we're equally going down with you. These are the players that we're invested in. These are the players that we are interested in. These are the players that we are again putting on our priority list when we're starting to kind of scout the landscape that is training camp, preseason games, and the first week of the NFL season. These are the guys that we're kind of really paying attention to in dynasty leagues. And I think in those circumstances, I'm probably still living a little bit equally in the world of where they were drafted and where I had them pre-draft. That's when I'm living equally in those worlds. But to Paul's point, I got to tell you, honestly, he's 100% right. I'm under no misgivings that if, for example, Elijah Holyfield goes undrafted, it doesn't matter if he's my 12th or 13th best running back. It's going to be a player that I'm just going to have to watch out in the player pool and grab off waivers. I'm not drafting him in my particular circumstances. So don't mistake what we're talking about with dynasty advice. This is not dynasty advice. This is just our feeling on the player's skill levels, where they fit, how we would draft for our 33rd NFL team. And if they asked us to stack the big board of skill players, this is kind of where we would fall off. Paul, um, any final comments before we get out of here? Yeah, absolutely. A couple things. One, if you are liking what we're doing, guys, please, please, Get over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's the quickest way to get there now. Click on the premium content tab. It is not too late to purchase all four premium notebooks. You get all four notebooks for $9.99. You get the scouting notebook, over 100 player profiles, you know, schemes, fits, round projections, strengths, weaknesses, how they win, and so much more detailed analysis and scouting reports. You get the rankings notebook, our rankings that we've just were outlining right here. Continue. Uh, you get our tiers. You get our Dynasty rookie rankings post draft. Those will be updated throughout the entire summer uh, and throughout the regular regular season as well. In terms of those rookie rankings as well, and then just released last Friday, you get the draft projections notebook, tabs for every position, offense and defense, with notes on over 400 players, combine measurements and metrics if they performed at the combine, round projections, everything I'm hearing, reading, listening, watching, projecting Paul- how I expect it to go. Uh, Paul, I got to tell you something. I got a new way of framing that guide. It is the ultimate companion guide for draft day. Yeah. I, 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 on the previous podcast, guys, I, I did the draft projections podcast where I just kind of talked about the rumors of round one, what could happen, and talked about the draft projections and kind of went through right now where things stand for round one in the top 32. And then I even stretched it out and talked a lot about what I expect to happen in the first three rounds. Matt just, in the past, we've called it the ultimate TV guide for draft weekend. Matt just called it the draft companion. It's fantastic, guys. So much information. The top 32, top 102, and top 254 tabs are a great quick resource. I will be highlighting them in yellow as they get picked. So you can revert back to that and check there uh, throughout the draft. Last year, 28 out of 32, 85 out of 100, and 202 out of 256. We'll see what we can do this year. It's a much more crazy draft, but you get that. And then Matt talked about it earlier. You also still got the freshman notebook, player profiles in the top 40 incoming freshmen for your Debbie League. Uh, just getting a leg up on knowing these guys who are going to impact the college game sooner rather than later. You get all four for $9.99. Best way to support the show and help us continue to grow and do what we're doing here uh, as well. And then just a little bit of programming note, uh, draft weekend, 
as always, there will be podcasts each morning when you wake up. There'll be a podcast recapping round one. There'll be a podcast recapping rounds two and three. There'll be a podcast recapping rounds four through seven consecutive days. Uh, there'll be those podcasts. And then the, the week after, look for dynasty rookie rankings we just talked about how this wasn't that there'll be a podcast talking about dynasty rookie rankings and also working on a podcast of having a couple guests to do a two-round dynasty rookie mock draft after this happens and then there'll be so much more coverage there'll be AFC and NFC team-by-team recap shows. I already have guests in the works like Matt Williamson and Dane Brugler. Sig Bloom and Matt uh, Waldman will be back as well. So we'll be wall-to-wall coverage for the entire month of May, well into June as well. So Matt, any final thoughts? No, I just everybody genuinely enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride that is the actual NFL draft. We work all season to make this experience as enjoyable and, and, uh, as 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 chaotically fun as it can be for everybody involved so honestly from from my house to your house please enjoy the nfl draft absolutely so on behalf of matt on behalf of our sound and tech engineer david nakano and myself thank you for joining us and we look forward next time taking you from saturday to sunday